Welcome to another weekend bonus episode of the Tech Meme Ride Home. This is a portfolio profile episode. This is from the Ride Home Fund. Uh, so it's not an AI company, but man, is this some really interesting, exciting tech. Uh, we're going to talk to a company called Ad Hoc Microsystems. We're talking to one of the founders, Neil Sarkar. Neil, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. So um, we like to start off with basically uh, give me the five-minute elevator pitch about what Ad Hoc does and uh, what this really cool technology is. Sounds good. Yeah, so Ad Hoc uh, de delivers a full-stack eye-tracking solution. Um, so we really needed to rethink the entire system architecture of eye-trackers from the ground up to make it practical to put this type of technology in wearables that you can put on your face um, and, and use all day. So the first thing we had to do is drop the cameras and the image processing, which really um, makes you know conventional eye trackers quite unwieldy. And so now that we've accomplished that, uh, we really want to get this tech in front of billions of eyeballs because we think that all day eye tracking can serve as a fitness tracker for brain health and, and really has the the potential to to address some massive societal challenges. Um, and so we just unveiled this product called the MindLink Air, uh, and we're excited to uh, to to broadcast its availability. Well, I'm I'm gonna uh, have you demo that for us here in a second. But first, um, I think folks are um, familiar with like the whole XR space, AR or VR, and the sense that um, eye tracking, which is usually done with cameras, like it's 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 a key technology because. You know, for VR, if you can see where people are looking, then you don't have to render the whole field of view. Um, but also, like, you know, it's useful in terms of understanding what uh, the wearer is looking at so that you can pr present information to them, also use it as a, as a control mechanism and things like that. So you're saying that um, your technology is not a camera. Um, so explain to me how this tech is different. Yeah, yeah. So we've actually... Um, created our own custom silicon solution just for eye tracking. So we build these chips. Uh, we can fit like 10,000 of them on a wafer. And the chips have tiny little micro mirrors in them. Uh, but they also, in the same package, have a light source and some micro optics. And so we can sweep a beam of light across the eye thousands of times per second. And anytime that beam reflects off of your cornea uh, onto one of our photodiodes, we can pick up a pulse. And anytime that beam crosses the threshold between the iris and the pupil, we see a big drop in, in diffuse reflection also pick up the pulse. And because we're capturing thousands of pulses per second per eye, we're able to build a full 3D model of, of, a, of the human eye and, and tell you what that pupil size is, which way it's pointing, um, you know, how long blinks are down to the millisecond. We really capture all of the dynamics of eye movements very precisely this way. And because we're not shuttling, you know, megabits per second of video through the frames and trying to do image processing, we can do all of this in a very lightweight microcontroller. Um, so, you know, this is a, a gel pack that has sort of the family of chips that we've uh, we've developed over the years, starting from the biggest one to the smallest one. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's actually some chips in there that you cannot resolve uh, on, a, on a webcam. They're like 100 micron uh, on the side. So... 
so yeah, that's that's kind of the, the the difference between the approach we take and cameras. I'm gonna have announced this at the beginning of the episode, but I want to remind people that there is a YouTube video um, that you can see um, what he's he's going to be demoing for us. But so again, those are tiny chips. So as opposed to like you know the 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 VR device that I own is the MetaQuest Two, and it's got those inward facing. I believe the the Vision Pro has inward facing cameras. But what you're saying is is that you don't need those cameras you need these just like teeny tiny like fit on the head of a, or the back of a, a pin sort of chips that's correct yeah and i think um you point out something pretty interesting which is that you know the the reason why eye tracking has become uh more well known uh is is that some of these vr headsets like the psvr2 and the exciting announcement about the apple vision pro have camera-based eye trackers in them but the idea of having an eye tracker on you all day, every day in a 35 gram product, um, while not compromising on data quality, that's something that you just can't do with cameras. It's kind of the reason why the Apple Vision Pro is, is plugged into a battery pack and the Sony PlayStation VR2 is plugged into a gaming console. Um, you know, lightweight all day wearables just haven't had eye tracking yet. Right, right. So let's, let's get to uh, why you're coming on the show now. Um, you all have just announced the MindLink Air, which again, um, he's going to demo for us in a second. So uh, listeners, you'll want to find this video. But essentially, um, this is, we, you know, we always say, oh, eventually, especially AR glasses will just be regular glasses. They won't be these things that need battery packs. They won't be heavy. They'll just be regular eyeglasses. These are, to my eyes, regular eyeglasses. And essentially, what the the MindLink Air is is uh, I would argue a fitness tracker uh, for your eyes, which means eyes window to the soul, but uh, windows to the brain maybe is um, a fitness tracker for your brain. I guess. Absolutely, yeah. That's a that's a great way to think about them. Um, we we actually do think about it as the first fitness tracker for brain health. The important thing here is that if you want people to wear something all day. It has to be frictionless and it has to be invisible, uh, but you can't compromise on the data quality. Um, so these these glasses that I'm wearing here are prototypes of the MindLink Air. Um, they're intended to come into in various different frame styles. They weigh less than 40 grams, and, and they're just capturing all of the most subtle uh, movements that your eyes make throughout the day. So you know, it might be worth taking a little detour uh, and talking yes. about like why why is it that the eyes, uh, you know, tracking eyes serves as a fitness tracker for the brain. Um, so, you know, the eyes are, are, in my opinion, the most practical and information-rich neural interface that can go into wearables um, because of a couple of reasons. So, you know, humans are visual creatures, and the eyes are the highest bandwidth input into our brains. That's kind of the reason why we're surrounded by these screens that just keep getting bigger. And in the in the case of AR and VR, they're getting closer and closer to your eyes because we know that that's how you get information into a human brain. But it turns out that the eyes are actually a very information-rich output from the brain uh, across the entire hierarchy of neurological function. So from a physiological perspective, if you're passed out and a paramedic shows up, the first thing they're going to do is stick a flashlight in your eye uh, to check for your pupil response to determine your brain's vitals. Um, and then if you get hit in the head, the first thing they tell you to do is go get your eyes checked. Uh, so concussions can be screened uh, using eye tracking. Actually, there's an FDA cleared protocol for that. But even like things like dizziness, you show up to a hospital and you're dizzy and you can tell based on a type of eye movement called nystagmus, 
whether that dizziness is because you've had a stroke and you better stay in the hospital or if it's because um, you know you have vertigo and they'll send you home so those are some of the low level you know brain function you can probe with the eyes but then there's the psychology as well so Lots of studies around depression, anxiety, and schizophrenia that correlate eye tracking data and the you know performance of, of humans with visually guided uh, tests with those conditions. And then finally, I think this is the area that's most relevant for for the MindLink Air product is is in the area of human behavior. Um, so really, I think when it comes to cognitive load, so how hard are you thinking, uh, focus, uh, mental fatigue and eye strain, those are all things that have very robust signals in eye movements and in pupillometry that we capture uh, with an all-day wearable. So, you know, as humans, everything we do, we just lead with our eyes. Uh, and because we're a startup, uh, we got to focus on trying to trying to address the, cast the widest possible net and address some some massive, you know, societal issues. So that that's what we're hoping to do with, with the mind like air. So the air, um, uh, tracks blink activity, pupil dilation, gaze behavior, all this stuff in aid of, um, like you said, um, you know, if you wear it all throughout the day and it's, you know, it's sending information to an app on your smartphone, um, you can do things like, okay, it's time to step away from your screen. You're, you're suffering eye strain, but also, um, what I find fascinating is you can maybe over time while wearing this, get a sense of when you're at your cognitive best in the day. So when you're doing your best thinking, your best work in theory. So in the same way that, you know, fitness trackers that we're familiar with, like wearing on our wrist or whatever, um, give you a sense of like, you know, recovery from activity and, and things like that. This gives you a sense of like achieving peak performance uh, mentally. Absolutely. Yeah. So it turns out that, you know, you're probably at your most productive when you're in a flow state, um, you know, and, and there's some some books and papers on the subject of flow state. But what's interesting about flow state is that it's a combination of being focused and having the right amount of cognitive load. Um, so in the 60s, uh, you know, we learned that pupillometry uh, serves as a robust indicator of cognitive load and working memory. So how much uh, so how hard are you thinking? And then focus is also tied to visual signals. So if you can combine the right amount of, of focus and cognitive load, you're not being distracted, you're not confused, you're not thinking too hard, but it's also not effortless, then you get into that flow state. A product like this, um, you know, can sort of coach you into getting into flow state by measuring those things, measuring the matters. And I think that's a huge societal problem, right? Because we have people who uh, are overworked and are potentially going to burn out who could probably get more done in less time if they could get into a flow state more easily. The other thing that, you know, eye tracking reveals is fatigue, mental fatigue. And so if you keep working until you're tired, it's already too late. You've wasted the last couple of, you know, maybe tens of minutes uh, trying to work in a tired state. And that's, you know, one of the uh, early indicators that you're going to burn out. And so knowing when to take breaks at the right amount of time and knowing how much work you can do is is another uh, you know I think a, a big problem and pain point that the glasses can can address, and then eye health you know the myopia is now an epidemic and dry eye and a bunch of other eye related health concerns are things that we can measure. So there's this well known 202020 rule. It's pretty you know it's starting to get pretty clear that the reason why myopia is on the rise is that we spend so much time with our screens very close to ourselves, and we can measure exactly how far you're looking 
and how much light is coming into your eyes and give you that uh, that set of notifications that like, hey, if you don't want your myopia to progress, this is a good time to take 20 seconds and look at something 20 feet away. So it's two things, like we said, fitness tracker, we're familiar with how this works. Um, it, it, it learns when maybe you're at your peak, helps you develop um, patterns in your day um, to to, to get to that peak um, and and stay there when you need it, uh, but also it says, "Hey, stop!" and it does this for you you know fatigue mentally and and fatigue with the eyes and um, down the road. I mean, if with other biomarkers and stuff, like could this also be a thing that could again not maybe with this product, but down the road um, detect changes in cognitive function that could have other neurological health implications? Yeah, and I think that's probably one of the most exciting things about getting a product like this on the market is that we're going to be able to capture the largest data set of human neurological activity in the wild. And measuring, like, say, every day, even if you're only reading for, like, 20 minutes, knowledge workers, you know, spend about two or three hours a day reading. If we're able to track your, you know, reading speed, cognitive load while you're reading, and various other kind of metrics from your eyes, and we start to see changes in wearing the product for a year, this is the this has the potential to be the earliest warning system for the onset of neurodegenerative disease. And as we know, the earlier you can catch uh, some of these neurodegenerative conditions, the more likely it is that uh, intervention will be effective. But yeah, I mean, the, the, the range of things you can do with eye tracking, detecting absence seizures in pediatric epilepsy, monitoring concussions, um, you know, looking for early onset symptoms. There, it's such a broad range that as a startup company, we don't really have the luxury to pursue each of those, even though they're very deep pain points. And that's why we're so excited that, you know, three years ago, we launched this research product called the MindLink, uh, not the MindLink Air, but the MindLink, which, uh, you know, we sold for tens of thousands of dollars to over 100 clinicians and, and academics around the world. They are producing results in all of these very important kind of uh, Kind of fields of neuroscience um but yeah so that the mindlink air i think is is uh the everyman glasses that i really think is going to broadly address problems that we all have right especially because you don't have to do anything that it it's you're just wearing glasses and and so there's no additional like friction to 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 getting this uh, amazing data I, I i've been remiss um if if people listening want to see this product you can find out about it at mindlinkair.com, M-I-N-D-L-I-N-K-A-I-R, like you would think, .com. But also, um, again, we shouldn't do this for too long because most people will probably listen to this. But can you show me some of the demo that, that you were showing me before um, we started recording? Happy to. So I'm putting on the glasses here, and then I'm um, launching the app on my iPad. The app works on iOS as well as Android. Um, so you just bring your own device. Love, love, love Yahoo Finance. Use it every day to research companies we talk about on the show. Heck, I used it constantly when I was writing the book to look at the historical performance of dot-com companies. But when I'm working on my own portfolio, it's also the autocomplete in my browser, yahoofinance.com. They are the number one finance destination 
producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. And when you use it for your personal investing tool like I do, you can securely link your brokerage accounts to it for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. When it comes to your financial future, you think you've done it all, you've saved, you've researched, you've invested all that you can. Now, you need to take those investments to the next level by using what every financial great uses, Yahoo Finance. Think of it as an observability dashboard, but for your finances. With a community of over 90 million users each month, their real strength is helping you on your way to financial success. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com. The number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. I'm going to a big AI startup demo day here in the city tomorrow, and I will 100% be decked out in Mack Weldon clothing. Why? Well, Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. Mack Weldon clothes are designed to fit your style and the demands of modern life. They look like regular clothes, but feel like the latest in modern comfort. They're the go-to choice for guys who want to look great without even trying. Breathable underwear that keeps you cool, dry, and comfy all day. That's their Airnet underwear. Crazy, comfortable, but elevated sweatpants, the Ace Collection. An upgraded classic polo with antimicrobial silver threads, the Silver Peak polo. That's my personal fave. And ultra-soft antimicrobial tees for when you need to stay fresh longer. Their Silver Crewneck t-shirt. Get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code RIDE. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code RIDE. Yeah, so what you're looking at in this video is my eye movements being captured and then streamed to this iPad. And so I can look at the four corners of the screen and you'll see my eyes move. But what's remarkable about this is that if I move the glasses on my face and rotate them, I still am looking. So the reason that's important is that I want to be able to take my glasses off and then put them back on and then instantly be tracking again. I don't want to have to do calibrations. I don't want to have to do right, what right. academics have been doing for years. And that's one of our learnings as a startup is that this thing has to be completely frictionless. But it's not just you know measuring my eye movements approximately. Um, it's actually capturing them with millisecond resolution. So every time I blink, a new point is added onto this graph. And if I do a long blink, you see a big spike that shows up. That's the longer blinks. My average blink duration in the afternoons looks like it's at about 160 milliseconds today. Um, and then you know there's a whole bunch of models that take all of these inputs to measure things like cognitive load uh, and focus and fatigue. So this is another thing that's measuring in real time, how far am I looking? So are my screens too close? Do I spend enough time looking at something far away? So if I look at my finger and I bring it in closer and further, you see that my fixation depth is being recorded. But then if I look out into the parking lot into the distance, you'll see an even bigger spike, right? So that's that's the um, you know fixation plot. Uh, and there's a whole bunch of other stuff happening under the hood. We're measuring the velocity of saccades. We're measuring the interblink intervals. We're measuring how much of your field of view are you actually looking at, and we're, we even know how random your eye movements are. So all of these 
real-time measurements get uploaded to our cloud services and and that's where we run the models to extract all the state information um i um again i'm going to remind listeners that hopefully on the show notes i will have a link to this um video on youtube so that you can see as uh, not only uh, he's describing that his eyes are are react the on on the ipad it's reacting in real time to what his eyes are doing but those little jumps on the graph it's it's really fascinating stuff Uh, a couple quick points about the product like what's like sort of the charging sort of battery life issue with this sort of thing um how how every day is is the usage of this yeah so um the the current uh, power consumption of these things is so insanely low that glasses so these are actually a prototype they have a, a world camera in them the product that we're shipping will not have a world camera we think it's still a little too early uh to to ship a product that makes people uncomfortable uh but you know hopefully we're seeing that uh that trend start to to pick up uh but yeah these frame styles are intended to be more fashion forward uh and yeah they'll last uh between 12 and 16 hours that's where our benchmarks are at now hopefully we can push um push that efficiency even higher with some power saving modes uh, but yeah, so that you know, without compromising on the eye tracking data quality, we can get a full day of of uh, high quality recordings. And um, if I wear it without my phone, I mean, who who goes many places without their phone? But does it is it still uh, recording and tracking data that then uh, goes to the app? Yeah, I mean, in order to actually get the insights from the data, you do need to eventually upload to the cloud from your mobile device from the companion app. There is going to be some, uh, you know, local storage in case you don't have a connection to your phone. Bluetooth drops for a while, uh, but generally, if you're, for instance, at the end of the day, let's say you're not a, a big fan of getting alerts every so often to say, "Hey, you should take a break," or "Hey, you know, uh, you should flicker and blue light coming out of the." If you're not a fan of that, then you know we're we're going to be generating lighting reports and and you know reports for all the different types of measurements we've been talking about. But you know, I was just going to use the lighting one as an example. You can just wait till the end of the day, and it'll tell you, you know, every photon that went into your eyes from the moment that you woke up to the moment you went to bed. What was the intensity of light that hit your eyes, and what was the wavelength of light that hit your eyes? And you can make lifestyle changes based on uh, on that insight. Like maybe you're not getting great sleep because of uh, you know some factor that the glasses capture. Uh, this sounds like one of those things that you know. Uh, a decade from now, maybe even less, every pair of glasses uh, would have tech like this. And um, let me uh, let's step back for a second and tell me where this tech came from. And to the degree that you want to um, tell me about your own entrepreneurial story of bringing this tech and this company to life. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's a little bit of a, <clears throat> a, circu- a circuitous path that we took to get here. Uh, that I took to get here. So, you know, in grad school, I was working on something called a single chip atomic force microscope. So we were able to take this tiny CMOS chip and put sensors on it that could pick up the forces between atoms and put actuators on it that can position these sensors with sub nanometer resolution. Jesus. So you can take our chip and yeah, take our chip, put it on a sample and you can get a ridiculously uh, high resolution image of things like butterfly wings or, um, you know, even like m- other microchips. So all of that tech, um, you know, I think it was exciting to you know go to conferences and get um, get some good recognition for the technology, write papers, and kind of measure 
your success by looking at the impact factor or, you know, like citation indices. And we rolled all of that into our eye tracking uh, chipset. So we were using similar kind of kinds of ultra precise mechatronic systems on chips to do eye tracking. Now, you know, the reason why uh, we decided to start a company uh, has to do a little bit with the the academic receptivity of of, uh, of the technology. So we were enjoying uh, you know some good traction on like, hey, you can you can measure where somebody's eyeball is pointing using these MEM sensors. That's uh, that's very exciting. So we thought, hey, maybe we should try to commercialize this, and and that's when we started to learn all kinds of lessons. Um, our motivation was that like, hey, I don't want the impact factor of my life's work to be measured in how many people read some papers or, you know, how many, um, you know, presentations I gave at conferences. I want these to actually get in front of other humans' eyeballs and improve mm. their health. Mm. Uh, and you're not going to do that by, um, you know, doing academic research. So, in fact, a lot of our co-founders were, um, you know, PhDs from the University of Waterloo. And we decided, hey, let's try to have an impact on society in a different way. Um, so that's what started it, but also um, very quickly we got punched in the face when we realized that academic success does not equal commercial success. Can you, uh, again, to the degree that you are willing to get personal, uh, punched in the face, uh, go into that a bit. What you you because of your academic background, you were maybe ill prepared for the sort of uh, startup life. Yeah, I mean, I'll give you a good example. So with eye trackers, right, which have really found their um, initial foothold was in academic institutions and clinicians were using eye tracking to you know, diagnose concussions. You needed a PhD to operate these eye trackers. And it was okay if you had to put somebody's head in a chin rest to try to get the best quality data so that you can publish your paper. Now, the amount of kind of um, fiddling around you had to do with software and hardware to get solid eye tracking data was something that the academic community was was willing to do. But if you tried to get this into a consumer product, um, you know, what we found was that it was hard to fit the device onto people so that you get a strong signal. And then eventually we realized that it's not enough just to get eye tracking when the glasses are sitting perfectly. You need to be able to move the glasses around like you, you just saw before. Um, and, and still know exactly where somebody is looking. And then there's the human factors concerns. So it's not enough to say everybody in our office can do great eye tracking. You got to put this across, you know, the entire sort of variation of human factors in the human species by putting it on hundreds and hundreds of people and finding out how it goes wrong and fixing it. Right. So, uh, uh, sorry to interrupt, but like, this is a hardware play. This is I mean, this is a wearable, this is a device, but like, the, like, uh, not to be <laughs> dismissive, but oh, jitting up a good software idea is one thing, but like, there's so many factors for something that, as you said, you wanted it to be a consumer product in the real world. Like there's way more factors uh, to, to have to control for. Yeah, yeah. One of the early learnings when we were, uh, you know, shipping these eval kits to OEMs, um, to you know, try to get integrated into their products was that, hey, uh, if one percent of our devices get gets returned, if someone goes to Best Buy, buys these glasses, puts them on, and they don't work perfectly, and they return them, you know, a one percent return rate is very very costly. Whereas I think when I was doing my PhD, um, I would make ten devices, and if one of them worked, I got a paper out of it. <laughs> That's a, that's a different success rate uh, by almost orders of magnitude. Um, 
what have you learned? Um, again, I, you, you mentioned that this is your first consumer product. The, the, the mind link was the original mind link was, uh, for clinical use and like research use. Um, so even what can you tell me about that? Uh, designing a product that is used in a professional ish setting versus this is something that should be designed that should be usable by someone like my mom. Right. What, what, yeah. what, what, how, how do you have to think in designing a product um, differently, even almost philosophically, how do you have to think differently about that? Yeah. So, you know, the, the lead of our software team um, has had this mantra uh, that we talk about at every all hands meeting, which is just hashtag just works. So it used to be the case that you put the glasses on, you had to do a tuning step, and then you had to look at an Aruko marker, and then you had to, you know, just do all, all types of calibration before gaze marker even was present. Um, all of those little friction points were things that we were happy to do, and we thought anybody else would be happy to do. But this is just not the way it works with consumer electronics. You might be able to convince somebody to do a fitting the first time that they put their glasses on, like when you first buy an iPhone and you calibrate the face ID. Um, and, you know, people who wear glasses, they'll see an optician to make some little tweaks to make sure that their you know, frames are fitting properly. You can do that once uh, and you can calibrate once, but that's it. Um, for the rest of you know, your ownership of this product, it just has to work every time you put it on. Do you have to design, um, again, I don't want to be pejorative. You're saying it just works, but do you also have to design to be, pejorative would be dumber, but uh, let's use the term, do you have to design softer? You have to design or be thinking in a way of, you can be forgiving for fail cases, essentially. Um, like when when you're going the consumer route and you want to go to scale with a consumer product like does that mean that it's almost like what you put in the market is the lowest common denominator we could we could be so much more complicated except for the fact that then it wouldn't be successful at scale because there would be too many other vectors for failure do, do you see what I'm, I'm i'm trying to poke at here like um philosophically if you design a product for the 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 masses um are those sort of like the trade-offs that you have to make yeah i mean it's kind of a you, you can think of it as a balancing act uh in terms of like hey if i want to get um you know 99.9 percent .9 on time i have to learn how to fail gracefully in cases where i'm not getting signal right mm -hmm. but you know if you take that to the extreme you can just make a really poor eye tracker out of just um you know some some detectors and some illuminators and just say like, hey, I could detect blinks. Um, I can sort of generally tell where someone's looking, but I can't be really accurate across a really large range of people across a really large range of, of eye, uh, glasses shift. The problem with, with um, delivering a product that, that makes those compromises on data quality is that if you're really trying to capture somebody's cognitive load or trying to determine whether somebody is uh, anxious or confused um, or is focused, you, you need to have both highly accurate data and also very high bandwidth data, very high sampling rate. And so, you know, you might be able to make a very low sampling rate inaccurate system that lasts all day using cameras. Um, but, you know, what, what I think is important here is that we didn't make those compromises. Uh, I still think that the, you know, quality of the, the data coming out of these wireless glasses is 
on par with, with research grade systems that people pay, you know, $50,000 plus for, which I think is, you know, the, the, the step change that you, that you achieve when instead of just waiting for Moore's law to catch up, you redesign the system from the ground up to get order of magnitude improvements across lots of specifications. Right. I, I always think to myself, like, um, you know, Johnny, I've had like my iPhone, my dream iPhone 10 years ago, because, you know, his prototypes that he was walking around with would have, you know, multi-week battery life because, you know, they were bigger and had more robust batteries and like screens that we wouldn't see for, you know, years. And so like designing a product to hit, it's not like, I mean, there's all sorts of considerations in terms of like, well, eventually the cost for that will come down, so we'll add it or whatever. How? What have you learned in terms of making decisions like that? All right, we could do this, but the time isn't right. Um, either Moore's law or you know um, manufacturing costs will cut. Wh whatever it is, um, we can do this now. We should do this because it's the bare minimum, or we should do this because it's as good as we can do without compromising on costs and things like that like have you learned anything about making decisions like that for a product yeah so i think that yeah you bring up a good point which is that you know if you compare a research product like the mind link that you plug into a phone uh, and you have a camera feed and you're streaming every pulse that's captured from the eye and so that you know after your your recording is done you can reprocess it and look at it in different ways compared to something that is you know a bluetooth device you don't want to be streaming that much data, um, but you do want to be capturing eye movement events at that at those rates. So th there's a, a good example of a compromise. We're not streaming 500 hertz data to a phone, mm. um, or even like you know the kilohertz pulse data to a phone. Instead, we're computing locally. When did the saccade start? When did it end? What was its velocity? How long was the blink? What was the pupil size? So the pupil size is an example of something human pupils don't change that fast. So you can do it at like 60 hertz. But yeah, those types of things get computed on the glasses and then we only transmit the stuff that's important for our models. Right. And you even mentioned, you know, the, the prototype had a camera in it, but you're not ready for that yet. Uh, one more question, almost on the philosophy of product. Um, this is, this is a, a new product category. Um, this is sort of your um, gonna be out there to define uh, a potential market. Um, what have you learned about thinking about that? Now, now this, you have the benefit of, like we started by saying, this is a fitness tracker, but that you wear on your face. Uh, and it's a fitness tracker, but for your mind. So people have, it's like the old Uber for X joke, you know, like people mm -hmm. have the concept of, yeah, die hard, but on a, a <laughs> summary, you know, like, um, so, so people at least you have the benefit that there's an analogy that people understand, but at the same time, like this is defining a new category. So how, what is your thinking been in terms of doing a product where it's like, we are, we are going to hopefully, um, uh, break new ground here and, and define this category for the first time. Yeah, that's a good question. I guess there's a couple of different angles. Like the first thing you want to do is, you know, acknowledge that rings and watches and glasses are amongst the oldest wearables that humans, uh, you know, have, have embraced before there was ever any technology in them. Um, 
And I think with glasses in particular, they're solving a really important pain point already. Like you can't see unless you wear them for people who require prescription glasses. So there's definitely a stickiness to them. And so when we were thinking about, you know, this new product category, we realized that it can't feel any different from the glasses that people wear all day. It has to be that light. It has to, the tech has to be completely hidden away. And I think, you know, I have to give kudos to the folks at Ura who, who pulled it off with rings. You know, you don't want to have a, a you know, uh, an obtrusive ring that that calls attention to people. Uh, it, it really needs to be invisible. So I think that's the, I would say that's kind of one of the important guiding principles of the product. And then in terms of like, you know, a new category, I think the truth is that this whole uh, concept of quantified self, people initially were just, you know, counting their steps, but now they're measuring their sleep. I think that that has, has paid off uh, in terms of people's cardiovascular fitness and, you know, physiological health um, being guided by measurements. And I think that, you know, the brain has never been tracked um, and, and having, you know, longitudinal data that is personalized to just you that tells you about the, the stuff that's just as important as, you know, heart rate variability is for your heart. You know, cognitive load variability gives you a good measure of your brain health. I think we're lucky to be entering this space at a time where people already understand and embrace the benefits of measuring other parts of, of your body. And I think the brain is, is the one that actually is, is in my opinion, um, measurements are poised to have big societal impacts. How do you make a password that's strong enough so no one will guess it and it's impossible for you to forget and do it for a hundred different sites and make it so everyone in your company can do the same without ever needing to reset them? Sounds impossible unless you have one password. More than any other product I've ever told you about, I can vouch 1000% for 1Password. I can't live without it. 1Password makes strong security easy for your people and gives you the visibility you need to take action when you need to. Any device, any time, 1Password lets you securely switch between iPhone, Android, Mac, and PC with convenient features like autofill for quick sign-ins. All you have to remember is the one strong account password that protects everything else. Your logins, your credit cards, secure notes, or the office Wi-Fi password. 1Password's award-winning password manager is trusted by millions of users and over 100,000 businesses from IBM to Slack. It beat out 40 other options to become Wirecutter's top pick for password managers. Right now, my listeners get a free two-week trial at 1Password.com slash ride for your growing business. That's two free weeks at 1Password.com slash ride. Don't let security slow your business down. Go to 1Password.com slash ride. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you ka-ching. As you know, I still run the first company I ever founded 25 years ago entirely on Shopify these days. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business from the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow the whole way. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling. Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. 
What I love about Shopify is that you can take any business to the next level, even 25-year-old ones, but especially 25-day-old ones. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ride, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash ride now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash ride. Um, I, I, one last thing and then, and then we can, we can wrap, um, because, um, you know, eye tracking has been something that, uh, could go into AR and VR. Um, so you're at least, um, adjacent to, or, um, have, you know, obviously been doing research in a space that, um, is related to the AR and VR space. Um, do you have any thoughts on, uh, I, I said on the show recently that like, well, you know, uh, it, there, it's ebbed and flowed sort of the, the modern AR, VR, XR sort of moment, like, you know, the Oculus and MetaQuest and things like that. But now we have, I, uh, the latest reporting is in January, you know, uh, the, the full rollout of the Vision Pro is going to happen. Um, do you have any thoughts on this space of um, AR and VR um, in terms of do you feel that there's an inflection point happening or is it still one of those things that like 10 years away, five years away or something like that? <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's something I could probably talk about uh, at length, but let me, let me try to summarize my thoughts. So back in 2017, when Intel capital, um, you know, led our first financing round, there was a lot of hype around AR and VR uh, specifically, probably more around VR at the time, but HoloLens was coming out. People got super excited about it. Gartner had ridiculous, you know, predictions of market size. So, you know, we we really thought that the design ends were going to come. But if you look at today, um, all of the the ecosystem of uh, of products in this space, very few of them have eye tracking. And so, I think that was something that took us. It took a lot of patience for us and a lot of mental resilience to kind of ride through the ups and downs. But it's really exciting that, um, you know, Apple, which I think popularized capacitive touch as an interface for cell phones, which was a magical interface, even a baby can reach out and, and tap on an iPad, is doing the same thing now uh, in mixed reality, where you can use your eyes, which are even more of, a, of an intuitive way to, to select objects and point at things, because usually you'd have to look at something first and then point at it with your finger. Now you just have to look at it. Um, I think this is going to be another magical interface, and it's finally... Um, going to be the case that people are going to want to use this in the UI. So I think that's that's super exciting, and I think it's worth the wait. I'm super excited to try the product when it comes out. But then there's this new emerging category of smart glasses that have uh, AI assistance integrated into them. Right. Oh, the AI angle, yes. Yeah. yeah, and the interesting thing about this is that if you want to have an AI assistant that's like the one in the movie Her, um, you really want them to kind of not only be aware of your context, which requires perhaps a world camera and an IMU and GPS, but it also needs to be aware of how the human is perceiving that concept, that, that context. It has to be perception aware because humans, again, we're visual creatures. We take in three degrees of our field of view at a time. And so if the AI knows what you're looking at when you ask the question, what's this? Uh, it can provide a much more relevant answer. And we've, we've been doing some experiments with our research product, which um, you know, are getting us pretty excited about our tech being the eyes and ears of AI assistance in glasses. So that's you know another category that you know you should look out for. Um, but yeah, first first thing you got to do is get MindLink airs on enough people that you can 
create these uh, models of what a person's thinking. Are they confused? Are they interested? Are they aroused? Are they um, fatigued? Uh, to, to provide that kind of co contextual information to an AI. Again, something, something, the eyes are the windows to something, something. Um, so <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to remind people, first of all, this, the, the company is ad hoc microsystems, uh, hashtag proud investor with the ride home rolling fund. You can find out more about them at ad hoc microsystems.com, but the actual mind link air, the, 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 these, this category defining uh, new product, um, smart glasses, uh, fitness tracker for your brain. You can find out more at mindlinkair.com. Also, I'm assuming uh, we're recording uh, mid-December. I'm assuming y'all are going to be at CES. And listen, uh, a ton of folks listening to the show right now are going to be at CES. So um, should they uh, look up your booth? Yes, please do. Um, so you can follow us at mindlinkair, which is our handle on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter. It's also our, our URL for our website. It's best way to, to learn more is to sign up uh, for an email list and you know, we'll have a booth um, in the in the Venetian. So uh, yeah, and this, this would be great to meet some of the listeners in person. Yeah, if, uh, if you head to the booth, uh, tell them Brian sent you <laughs> or the, <laughs> the tech meme right home. But also um, what's the, unless I'm stepping on this, I should have asked you ahead of time. Um, what would be the timeline? You said I can sign up for uh, updates and emails. What would be the timeline for me being able to purchase one of these and put them on my big fat Irish head? <laughs> yeah, uh, well, so we're doing a Kickstarter campaign in the first half of next year, um, Q1, Q2 timeframe. And then we're hoping to be able to ship our glasses in the back half of, of 2024. So um, yeah, that that's the, the way to purchase them at the probably early bird discount and then uh you know if the kickstarter campaign is successful we'll be able to sell them through our website uh awesome um uh, as i put my dumb glasses on hey that's a this is the term and smart dumb phones versus smartphones dumb glasses versus smart glasses um listen uh neil thank you for coming on and telling us about this uh really interesting tech and uh really interesting um new category i'm i'm super excited about what y'all are doing uh is there any if anybody else is um in the meantime even before cs if if there's anything um if people are interested want to get involved um are there any asks for the audience that you have before i let you go yeah so aside from trying to join our community um you know which the best way to do that is just to uh go to the website and and sign up um i think one relevant thing that's happening in the next couple of months is that we're in the middle of raising some funds for a convertible note. Uh, and again, best way to engage on that if you're interested in, in uh, investing in the company is to sign up uh, on, on our website and indicate um, that you're interested in investment. Or if you're listening and, and you know me and we've interacted, um, hit me up and I will um, personally intro you as well. Uh, MindLink Air is the main thing, but also ad hoc microsystems. Neil, uh, thank you so much for coming on the show and telling us about this. Uh, I, it's, it's, so, it's super exciting stuff. Thanks, Brian. It's uh, been a pleasure.